mostly the biggest shift is when you identify something and you shift the energy around it or shift the belief around it. And the person is able to be more fully themselves and to have that confidence to put that in their business and in their life. And that's my main thing is helping people to be themselves, fully themselves in their business so that they can be fully expressed. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of What the Faith. Today's episode is really interesting and uh, one that Ash and I really enjoyed and a topic we just haven't really covered much on the podcast yet, which is energy healing. Today we talk with Will Carlos, who's an energy healer who helps others to make the changes they want in life and business. For the past 12 years, Will has acquired training as a life coach and has done everything from energy healing with Reiki, access consciousness, vortex healing, and EFT, as well as dabbling in NLP, hypnotherapy, and guided meditation. This was really one of those episodes where going into it, Ashton and I had no idea what to expect. Energy healing isn't something either of us know much about or have ever tried, and so it was really just a conversation of curiosity. Will even walked us through some basic techniques and strategies we can even do on our own. And yeah, so we, we really hope you enjoy learning more about Will's journey into energy healing, how he connects that healing with Christian practices, and everything else. So enjoy the episode. Hi, Will. Thanks so much for coming on to the What the Faith podcast. We're really looking forward to learning more about you and your journey and all the spiritual work you're doing. So just to get things started, we always like to, you know, get a better sense of where our guest has come from. So, you know, what is kind of your spiritual background look like? What's What's been your spiritual journey? Not a typical one, I would think, from if anyone is coming from a more religious background. So I grew up very not religious at, at all. And uh, my mom was very spiritual, but in the kind of, we'll call it woo-woo way. She would talk a lot about the universe and spirit, even though she, she grew up Roman Catholic. But she had such a bad experience in that, that she decided to leave and to not have anything to do with it. So my grandparents continued in that faith, but my mom decidedly broke from the church. So I grew up with a lot of that kind of influence. A lot of some of my family members were of the Roman Catholic background and they were definitely the more strict kind of judgmental ones. So I, I had that typical reference point for, for what a, a Christian person is, which now is very, very different in my life and understanding. So with spirituality, I came to it from a very different background of walking in the woods by myself. And funny enough, one of my first big experiences was with movies. So I was watching Braveheart of all movies. And uh, there's a, a funeral close to the beginning. And the, the priest does a Latin benediction. And I remember writing out by hand the Latin benediction, but sound by sound. I didn't speak Latin. I couldn't write Latin. But I was so intrigued by his energy, his peace, his presence that I just needed to write it down. And the very last part was in nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sanctus. And so I would recite that as I ran around the track, I ran track and field and I would recite that prayer. I didn't even know, I don't think I even knew it was called a prayer. I just knew that I liked it. I liked how it felt, how it sounded. So that was uh, the beginning of my spiritual journey. And it took a long time to get to, you know, the, the more evolved, let's say parts of the journey. Yeah. And I guess, you know, too, like kind of diving into your, you know, just like family backgrounds with, you know, just the Catholic church, you know, what, how did that kind of like play into, you know, how you now see spirituality? And I know for like a lot of people who listen to this podcast, what their introductory to religion was like as a child is not how they see religion now. Um, 
And so, yeah, I just would love just to know a little bit more about that. You know, are there parts of kind of those, those Catholic roots that you so, you know, might identify more with now or what, what's kind of that like? Yeah. I, so I, I never went to church with my grandparents. I think one Easter we might've gone, but again, through movies was a, a big influence. So I, that's how I related to Roman Catholicism. And then my grandfather's kind of stern and, you know, the, the really um, dramatic pictures on the walls, you know, the, a picture of Jesus with the, a crown of thorns and those kinds of images. And the only parts of the Bible that I read as a kid, because it was in my grandparents' house was the book of Job and Revelations. And I decided I want nothing to do with this religion. This house. Not only does Job just keep getting hammered on for no reason, he's been wonderful, but the devil gets to, like, it's just, I, I, that was my interpretation of it at the time. So that was, that was that, that was then. And then later in life, I started being, you know, going much more down the spiritual path. And I started leading uh, prayer calls because I had discovered that I had a gift for prayer, even though it wasn't in a Christian uh, framework at the time. And I was leading prayer calls for other people who were multi-faith or spiritual or pretty much just no one was Christian, but people could have like, there was someone who was Jewish, there was someone who was multi-faith, but we all had a thing around Christianity because of its history and, and a lot of the people that we'd met. And I realized as I was leading that group that I couldn't continue to call myself a spiritual person or a spiritual leader, whatever that means when one is not a minister, if I had this kind of uh, chip on my shoulder about Christianity. So I started going to church and I went to a church every Sunday for about a year and a half until I had a, a much deeper understanding and had started a relationship with Jesus and started a prayer life with Jesus. Although I don't technically identify as a Christian. So that is another unique part of the, <laughs> the whole story. I'm curious before we move on from uh, that piece uh, for the prayer calls that you had. How, how would those usually be structured to not be like just a fully like Christian prayer, but just that way multiple people could connect over it? Yeah. So I, I took, I used to be involved with a church called Science of Mind. And it was started by Ernest Holmes back in the 50s, I think it was. And he had studied the world's religions and really had been deeply involved in Christianity. And so he created a, a branching off into what's called science of mind, which is now a global church and it's, it's, um, it's everywhere, but it's very, it's non-denominational in, in what I believe is the truest sense of the word. So often here in my small town of Nova Scotia, I'll be chatting with someone and I'll say, Oh, I'd love to find a non-denominational church or a non-denominational place of worship rather. And they'll say, Oh, well, there's a non-denominational church down the street. And I go, and then it's, it's just, it's all hellfire and brimstone, but all denominations within Christianity or specifically Protestant are welcome. And so I find that very interesting because that's not my reference point for non-denominational. So in Science of Mind, they had a specific form of prayer as a five-step prayer, which is similar to a lot of Christian frameworks, but you just don't use the word God. You use the word, you know, love or uh, universal light or uh, universal intelligence, just basically anything except God, Christ, Buddha, Allah. So yeah, that was how I learned to pray. And then in that prayer group, that was a format that I used. I'm like, I'm just so interested in that. Like, you know, if you feel comfortable answering like for, cause I think like one thing that is really cool kind of about your journey is I think, you know, the more people like dive into other realms of spirituality, like the more you realize that like the rules are kind of just man-made, right? Like we think of prayer, right? I think like when people hear the word prayer, like they have a certain image in their head of like what that looks like, but then you start diving in all these different religions and like everybody has some sort of prayer format might look different. 
you know, like, uh, so when you use kind of like the word like energy source or love, is that still kind of coming from like the belief in like a higher power is love something that's like within us? I don't know. Like, I would just love to know more kind of like your definition of uh, God, if you use the word God, like how you kind of see divinity and I'm just interested. So from from my perspective, I can use any term that I like now. And it really, it doesn't matter to me. So I can pray to Allah. I can pray to Jesus or rather with, I don't pray to, but praying with Jesus and with Allah or with Buddha or universe. I personally connect most with the words God and Jesus. I definitely feel my heart connected a deeper level with those terms. Um, so that that's from my perspective. If you'd asked me that question maybe 10 years ago, I would have said, oh, everything's, you know, everything's one thing. It's all the same. So why use, why pin it down to words like God? And now when I look back, I see that even my style of approaching that conversation was in itself trying to redefine God or pigeonhole God into a specific thing because I wasn't comfortable with the term Jesus or Christ or savior. And so, and that was what I did finally realize. And what I, when I decided to get that chip off my shoulder around Christianity. So for me, that's my understanding, but I know a lot of like the people that I work with a lot, especially the women that I work with for them, when they say universe or universal light or any of those terms or source, God, source, spirit for them, it's, it's really about getting away from this idea of a guy in the clouds and getting back into God within us, God right beside us. So for me, any term that doesn't support the separ- the separation between us and God, to me, that's a, a wonderful spiritual practice. But anytime, any term that we use that creates a barrier, I, that's what I, that's where I draw my line, I should say. And so what was that I mean, process like? Because I know, I mean, I don't know, somebody who doesn't have a chip on their shoulder around Christianity. You know? Even Christians. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm, I'm just curious, kind of, you know, what, you know, what were the highs and lows, you know, like the good parts and the bad, you know, the hard parts of uh, getting that chip off your shoulder? Oh boy, uh, how long do we have? Uh, <laughs> so uh, one of the high points was when I was 19, I went uh, traveling through Europe and uh, Nepal and I was in England and I went to Bath and they have the Roman baths in Bath. And I was staying at a hostel up on the hill, on the top of the hill. And in the evening, I went down into Bath because it was All Saints Day. And they were having these beautiful fireworks and there's gorgeous cathedral. And there was going to be an All Saints choir that was going to be singing at this cathedral. And at the time, I didn't know why, but I was constantly drawn to churches. And I wanted to be every, every new town or city that I would come to, I would go to the church pretty much first. And I would just walk around the church and be in the church, even though I still was you know, I really had a hate on for, for the Christian faith and, and the church specifically, I was still drawn to them and I didn't know why. So I was going to this cathedral in Bath and I remember I got in late and all the seats were taken and all the pews, very big cathedral. So I went down the side to look for a seat and I saw one little empty seat at the end of the pew. And I, I go over to sit down and as the young Canadian boy that I am, I said, oh, I'm sorry, is, is this seat taken? And the lovely woman, she was a little bit older, was sitting there. She said, oh, hun- oh no, I sorry. I asked, is this seat reserved? And she said, yes, honey, for you. And so I sat down. I was like, oh, this is wonderful. And the, it was a beautiful, beautiful choir. And at the end, when it came time to take communion, she 
invited me to come up with her. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not comfortable doing that, but thank you so much. But her energy about it, her way of being about it was, was actually an invitation. It was actually a choice and an invitation, which I hadn't really found that from a Christian before. And it really planted this seed in my mind. And then later she asked if I was going to go see the main attraction in Bath, which is the Roman Bath. And I said, no, it's too expensive. I'm a broke traveler. I can't afford it. So she gave me 20 pound uh, to go and see the Roman baths and to get myself a lunch. And I said, oh, I'm, you know, I can't accept this. And she said, no, honey, this is called Christian kindness. But when she said Christian kindness, it wasn't with a layer of call it guilt or shame or obligation, or like, now you've got to pass it on, or now you have to come to church with me. It was truly just this gift. And I think that was one of the first, one of the earliest seeds uh, that got planted for me. And then years later, when I started going to a church, it was an amazing experience. It was a very new church. It was called C3. So it's part of a kind of a new-ish, I think at the time it was quite new, but now it's new-ish. Uh, young people church, rock and music. I call it cold play for Jesus. Just amazing music. I still listen to all that music to this day. It's almost all that I listen to. Uh, you know, Hillsong United and House Fires and, you know, some Amanda Cook. There's some amazing artists in there. And that was when I met Jesus and started having a relationship in that way. So that was the up. The down was when they learned after about a year that I, I really wasn't going to get baptized. I really wasn't going to go the direction that they wanted, but I still really wanted to be there to worship. And things started to get a little choppy. So they, they talked about, you know, acceptance and everyone's part of uh, God's church but in the end, it was everyone's accepted into God's church as long as you believe what we believe. And I thought that's not really very Christian to me. And so the final nail in the coffin came when I, one Sunday at church, I really felt this calling to join the band because I'm also a musician. I play guitar and I really felt very strongly called to do that, that that was going to be my next evolution. And when I went to talk to them afterwards, they very plainly said, have you accepted Jesus Jesus as your only Lord and Savior? And I said, no. And they said, well, then I'm sorry, you can't join the band. And I remember going home and I had no idea how much it meant to me, but I was, I cried. It, I was heartbroken might be a strong term, but somewhere, somewhere around that I was really, really deeply impacted. So it was, it was hard to go back to that church after that. I, I did find another church that was similar, but not quite as let's call it rigorous. And so I, I still have a lot of love for the church, but that was really a hard, uh, hard moment. Yeah. I mean, I find that both fascinating and very relatable with, I think that, I think that's just so common nowadays with, um, you know, especially you, you can read the Bible and read Jesus accounts with like, if you're not looking at it from this, like the capital R religion standpoint, you know, and you're able to really see that it wasn't, that's not what it was about. But now, you know, still when you go to an organization, that's often what you run into. Did you have a way of kind of, I mean, how did you deal with that? I think, cause I think a lot of people hit that myself included, you know, hit, hit that wall where people it's getting better, it's getting better. You know, you grow friendships and stuff and then kind of, with some people gets cut off uh, and that's uh, super painful. And I'm curious how you, how you dealt with that yourself. I think at the time I had a, a pretty strong community in other ways. And because, you know, I had sought that church out myself. I went to church. I dragged my wife along a few times. She was pretty uncomfortable most of the time. I think I took her to an Easter service by accident the first time. And that was just like, no, thank you. 
<laughs> and so it was, it was really just me building relationships there. So it wasn't, I think it was very different from a lot of other people who maybe they've grown up in the church or maybe they've got other like friends that they know and they hang out with outside of the church. But for me, it was very much kind of like, it was almost a separate life. I didn't necessarily want it to be a separate life. It just, it kind of was. So in that way, it was a little bit easier. And I went and I found another church to be part of. And I had a lot of spiritual friends and because I'm an energy worker, energy healer as well in my, like my business, I had a lot of support in that way. So it wasn't, church wasn't my only source of spiritual nourishment, if you want to call it that. So that made it a lot, a lot easier because of that. And because it was a new thing, it had only been a year and a half and I didn't identify as Christian. So I wasn't, you know, for mo- for many, many people, it's like losing a family, losing their right leg. For me, it was something that I was, it was a way that I was growing closer to God, but I knew that it wasn't my only connection to God. I mean, God's right here. Like if I want to talk to God, like it's, I don't have to go to a church. I love going to church and I love the music, but I don't need that to, to have a relationship with the divine. So I think that may, all of those factors made it a lot easier. Yeah. And I, I mean, like kind of shifting gears, but you mentioned it there. I, you know, I'm really just curious to know your background and like how you got into energy healing. Right. Like, like that's like definitely like the lane that I don't think Ashton and I know anything about. And so like, what is, I, I, this is super loaded, but it's like, what is energy healing? How'd you get into it? Like, what, what is that all about? Yeah. So if you've ever read uh, books like the Celestine prophecy or Lynn McTaggart's intention experiment, if you've heard of Reiki, that's another, another big one that people know about. But another, I mean, if we're staying on the topic of kind of major world religions, you think about laying on of hands, that's energy work. There's even a course within the Catholic church that I took um, with a woman that does that work in Canada. She removed uh, the Christian, she is still Catholic herself, but she wanted to make it accessible. And it's called uh, Discover Your Sacred Gifts. And there's 24 sacred gifts that the Catholic church identified from all the saints from all days past and acknowledge that there are 24 gifts. And one of them is called intercessory prayer, which everyone in the Catholic church or Christian church would know about, you know, pray on, you know, intercede on my behalf, you know, bring in Jesus, bring in Michael or bring in the angels, bring in God, because I'm going through cancer or I'm going through this or I'm going through whatever. So I need your prayer work. So if you just say, often, if you just take the word prayer and put in energy healing, it's the same thing. I find this, this is all just, you know, according the energy healing, according to will. So with all other forms, you know, Reiki is much more based in an Eastern philosophy, more of like a yogic philosophy. So I am technically a Reiki master, although it's not my actual main modality. My, mainly what I do is intercessory prayer. I work with people online over Zoom. I have almost no clients locally. So it's all just over the computer, which adds a whole nother layer of woo-woo craziness. You know, you could, you could do that. Well, yeah, it's it's just like prayer, you know, and people say, I don't think I ever would have made it if my whole church wasn't praying for me. Well, you can imagine for this conversation that every prayer that's being said is like a cloud of golden energy that gets sent to that person. And the cloud of golden energy just surrounds that person with healing and love and makes it even easier for God to be present. I mean, God is always present, but our stuff gets in the way. So that prayer work just allows that person to be even more connected with the divine, ideally for the highest and best good of everybody and not just, you know, heal this person of cancer. That's why usually the prayer is God's will be done, which is another way of saying for the highest and best of everyone. So with energy healing, we're just taking a more direct role. So for example, you know, if you were a client and you 
come to me over Zoom and you say, well, for me, it's usually around business. So, we'll, but let's make it a physical ailment because that makes it a bit more relatable. So let's say you come and you say, my right shoulder's hurting. I'm like, okay, let me take a look. From my practice, I can kind of look at your body, look at your energetic body and see what's going on. Is it is it hot? Is it cold? Is it stuck? Is it too loose and flowing? Or maybe I don't see anything. Maybe I hear something. Maybe I hear a song. That actually happened once in a client session. I said, uh, why do I keep hearing this Michael Jackson song? I don't even like Michael Jackson. I never listened to him, but I keep keep hearing the song. I'm there with you. You are not alone. And she said, oh my God, that's my theme song. I sing that to myself like 20 times a day just to make it through. So, you know, we can hear things as well. So all of that, I mean, it's, it's a big topic and I, I don't want to, I wouldn't ever try to say, oh, energy healing in a three-point slide. It's a, it's a very rich world. It's kind of like someone who's never heard of Jesus. And they say, well, who's this Jesus guy? And you're like, whoa, where do, I, where do I start? Like, there's a lot here. So it's similar with energy healing. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think it's, it's one of those things that people find so often, myself included, skeptical of, you know, but also people yeah. are very skeptical of the benefits of meditation. And then you do it for 30 seconds. You're like, oh shit, like <laughs> that was huge. That was crazy, you know? Um, so I, I'm curious for you, like what are some of the things that to you are just like really it's like the, when you either do it or you see somebody experience it, that is just like the irrefutable like benefits that you just are able to like see happen. Yeah. So in my practice, I've worked with about 500 people around uh, the world. So 28 different countries and all online. It's been an amazing blessing. And I would have to say about 95% or more of those people at, by the end of a 15 or 30 minute session. And these are, I've never met the person before. It's a free session, like an introduction, but those people will say, you know, I always ask, do you feel better, worse, the same or different? And 95% of the time it's better. And a good 60, 70% of the time it's, wow, I feel much better. I feel lighter. That's I off. I most often hear, I feel lighter, I feel more clear. I feel a bit happier, a bit excited. And of course there are definitely people who say, oh, I, I feel a little bit better, but you know, no fireworks over here. And that, that happens of course. Um, so that's the immediate, that's how I know that something's moving energetically. If they feel a bit better then something is, is beginning to move. And then very practically, I have people that by the end of a session say, oh, my headache's gone. Oh, my shoulders don't hurt anymore. So those are on the, on the physical level, on the emotional level, I'll have people that completely change their relationship with their, their spouse. You know, they've been fighting a lot and we identify something and, and shift it or remove it. And I hear from them a day or a week later to say, oh my God, my husband and I haven't fought in a week. Most often it's around business because that's the main, I mostly work with entrepreneurs, other healers and coaches, executive coaches, therapists, authors. And so they'll say things like, holy crap, I don't know what you did or what we did exactly, but I just signed up a new client and I didn't do any new marketing. I didn't do any new public, like nothing new. Someone just found me from a random podcast like a year ago reached out and hired me. It's the craziest thing. I hear that quite often. It's not all, it's like, I don't have a percentage on that one, but it's, it's regular. But mostly the biggest shift is when you identify something and you shift the energy around it or shift the belief around it. And the person is able to be more fully themselves and to have that confidence to put that in their business and in their life. And that's my main thing is helping people to be themselves, fully themselves in their business so that they can be fully expressed. And that's the kind of thing that 
I know it's cheesy to say, but you can't put a price tag on it because you can't actually, you know, if you've been balled up and not really being yourself or not writing your book or not getting your message out there uh, or not doing Facebook lives, and then now you can, you're nervous, but you're not, you know, destroyed with fear or the, the fear of criticism. That's, that's life-changing. And then the rest will come because that's a big, a big shift. Yeah. I'm curious to like dive into the shift part, right? So like if I came to you as a client and I was, and Ashton and I were arguing all the time or something, this is theoretical. And like, like, I guess like, what does that like process look like? Like, is it more about like kind of inner work of like identifying like what are my barriers as like far as like why I can't get past like past arguing? Like, I'm just curious to know like more about that because like Ashton's Buddhist background and like mine as a Christian doing like a lot of centering prayer. Like, is it techniques that you're doing of like breath work, prayer? Like what, what does that look like? I will do my very best to answer, but this is similar to, you know, how, what is it, how do you, or what is it like being, being saved when you accept Jesus? You know, what's, tell, walk me through the steps and you're like, well, you, you know, I went to church and I, so I'll do my very best having, having given that disclaimer first. My approach and every, everyone's different. So most energy healers, sorry, I shouldn't say most, many energy healers would look at the energy between you two. Maybe they have a gift called clairvoyance so they can see energy or see auras or whatever that's, whatever they're seeing. I don't have that gift. I have a gift called clairaudience. So I can hear things. I hear when things are off. So when you're talking and you're saying, you know, I, and this is all again, hypothetically, but you'll be saying, you know, I really want to have a great relationship with Ashton. I really want this to be fully in flow and, and, and love. I want to trust him. And for whatever reason, it's not even a tonal pitch or anything, but when you say, I just really want to trust him and my spidey senses go, bing, trust. Why is that sticking out? Hmm, let's take a look. And then I'll take a look energetically, or I'll ask a follow-up question to learn a little bit more about trust and how you feel about trust. And then I'll say, oh, okay, well, it feels like there's something around trust here. So can I ask you a question? And one of the main questions that I use is called a truth question. And it's very simple. I just put the word truth in front of the question and the client's job is to answer with a yes or a no. When they answer with a yes or the no, I can tell if they're lying. Now, some people get a little funny about this, understandably. I'm not saying that I'm like a lie. Well, sorry, my clients call me a human lie detector. That's literally, I didn't call myself that, they did. And, and then I said, that's amazing marketing. I'm stealing that, no, no question. But it's not that I'm 100% accurate. It's way more subjective than that. So I'm never here to say, oh, that's a lie. You need to sort, no, no, that's not. I'll say, so that came up as not true. Let's find out what the belief is so that you can get an alignment because what I'm actually saying is your head isn't aligned with your heart. Your heart may, or your, your head wants it, but your heart has something else going on or call it your soul or your spirit. Like there's a misalignment there. So my job is not to say, you know, not to give any advice about your relationship or anything like that. I never give advice, but my job is to say, okay, well, let's find out about the trust thing. So I'll ask a, a follow-up question like truth. Do you want to, do you truly want to trust your partner? And you'll say, because normally the client's not going to tell me their partner's name. So <laughs> truth, do you really want to trust your partner? And they'll say, yes. And I'll go, oh, sorry, that was a no. And they'll say, what? And then usually around there, something else entirely will ding. And it'll be something like, oh, your dad. So truth, you never trusted your dad. And they'll usually at that point, they go, huh? <laughs> it's like I 
they had a, a skeleton in a closet that they thought was hidden for forever that they forgot that they put in there. And then I go, Oh, look, there's a thing in your closet. And they go, Oh my God, I can't, I totally forgot that was there. Yes. I want to deal with that. Please let's deal with that. So now we can start the actual work of, of dealing with that thing that we found. And I shouldn't say skeleton because it's never actually a skeleton. It's, it's more like, I don't know, an old mess of a bunch of old books that you forgot about. It's, it's never actually a bad, it's never as bad as, as we think that it is. So I hope that gives a bit of an idea of my, so my process is much more psychological. It's much more language-based. A lot of energy healers will just literally lay their hands on you and they don't say a word. They're just doing body work and they don't say a word. I talk, as you can tell, uh, I talk a lot. <laughs> no, that's fascinating. I think, um, I know, you know, oftentimes that term alignment comes up a lot, you know, like have, getting your spirit basically in alignment. And I, I think it's interesting how there's just different, there's so many different routes because we don't always know what's out of alignment and there's different routes mm. to take to, to find that. I'm curious to know, like just your kind of perspective on like the process of discernment. Cause I definitely feel like there's some crossover, right. Of like, how do you get your body in a, like alignment, right. Like with the spiritual to like discern something that's going on in your life. I don't know. I would just be, I'm just interested to know, like, if you see kind of discernment as like a crossover process of that, is it intertwined? Yeah. And I love, I love anyone that's got a, a strong Christian background because they'll, they, they understand the term discernment. When I try to use it with my super spiritual friends or even yoga friends, they have no idea what I'm talking about. So a lot of people would talk about discernment as the gift of discernment. I think even in the Bible, they might, forgive me, but they might reference it that way. I'm not sure. It wasn't a gift in the course that I took, the one that's called Discover Your Sacred Gifts. It's not one of those 24 gifts. It's more of, it's seen more as a practice that anyone can have, but in your own unique way. So my unique way is, is that I hear some people, they can, they see very clearly. Some people have the wisdom that they just know like, whoa, that's not, that's not going to go well. Like they just, they can see almost just have this knowing. So in my life, in my practice, discernment has been an ongoing practice. And it started with, um, I forgot to ask if I can swear on this podcast. Should I just say yes? Okay. So it started for me with being so full of shit and so full of myself that I couldn't see my ass from a hole in the ground. And I thought that I was saying all the right things. I thought that I was really rocking and really going, just doing great things. But I kept getting this feedback that I was a self-righteous, arrogant guy. And I didn't understand. I didn't get it because all I wanted was what I thought was best for other people. And I wanted to save the world and I wanted to do great things, but I kept getting this feedback, dude, F off. Like you're, this is, you're not helping. Like you think that you are, but you're just so full of yourself. So it took years and I'm still seeing, thank God, all the places where I'm full of myself and all the places where my ego is running the show and all the places where I think that I'm just, and I even have to do it in the middle of sessions and especially podcasts and check in with myself and, and check in like, Whoa, am I just loving the sound of my own voice right now? And I'm sure that I will continually be learning this lesson. There's an audio that I listen to every single time before any interview uh, or big class. And it's um, a compilation of quotes from Bruce Lee. And the very beginning one is, he says, honestly expressing yourself, it's very difficult to do. 
you can put on a show and be cocky and be flooded with a cocky feeling and feel really cool. But to express oneself honestly, not lying to oneself, now that is very hard to do. And I listen to it every time because I start doing it in his, because I have it so memorized. I do it in his cadence, in his tempo, in his speed with a little bit of his accent. And then I'm like, whoa, I'm so good at knowing the words. And then as soon as I have a thought like that, I go, right, honestly expressing yourself. (laughs) And then I get back into like, I'm totally going to say too much in this podcast. I'm totally, I'm going to go out of alignment. So be aware of when that happens and get back into alignment, get back into flow. So that's, that's a bit of my process. Fascinating. I'm curious too, because I, I, I like, I always like um, things you can do on your own. And so like you were saying, like, you know, you have this method, so that way you can keep yourself, you know, you, you, you always rotate out, but rotate back into alignment. I'm curious for like your clients and stuff, you know, you have these healing sessions, you do this energy healing is there anything that you ever give your clients of like, hey, here's something like a little bit to work on um, that can like, again, maybe like help them find their way back uh, if times are rough? I'm curious if like there's any methods you have. Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch. So the way if I would think of it is kind of like when you go to a personal trainer at the gym, you get you can be much more effective at the gym. But if you're not walking daily, stretching daily, whatever homework they give you, it's, you know, it can still be effective. It's just not as effective. So and it's, it's a little bit similar. So some of the homework that I give clients will be, for example, one is called energy pulling, which we could even practice here for a, a two minute experience if you'd like to, to try it out. So we can, okay, so we can do that one. Other homework that I give are specific processes. Once I've identified a specific belief, sometimes I'll suggest that a client uh, works on clearing that belief 10 times, 20 times a day. Uh, A lot of people in my field have very different beliefs about that. Most people think, oh, once you've cleared it, it's done. Kind of like once you've cleaned the room, it's done. But I find that there are certain beliefs that are so entrenched that it's almost like, okay, I clean the room and then you find more dust because there's always more dust. And then you you realize, oh, I want to rearrange the furniture. And like, you got to keep going until the room is exactly the way that you like it because it's been so bad for so long. So if I've identified a specific belief in a session, I'll give them that homework. And then there are other tools that I give. So one, uh, for example, is called significance versus substance, which is when the more significant you're being, the less substance you have. So significance would be drama or, you know, oh, my, my work is so important. Uh, and this is rife in the, in the religious world. I'm doing God's work. I'm going to just, and it's like, you, you, those people are usually not very productive. They're usually not actually getting much done. They're being too significant. The people of substance, like Mother Teresa, Mahatma Gandhi, like a lot of the people that we look to, they weren't very significant. They just showed up, they did their thing, and then they went and they weaved their own clothes, for example, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, or they cleaned their own room, uh, Mother Teresa. Like, so that's, that's the kind of homework that I would give. So those are some examples, but we can certainly practice the, the energy pulling if you'd like in, the, in a two or three. Okay, great. And so this is for everyone listening, of course, as well. And you can close your eyes, have them open. I would recommend if it's your first time, don't uh, be driving. Although I do it when I'm driving, but I've been doing this for a long time. And I, of course, have my eyes open when I'm doing it. So for your first time, closing your eyes because it'll help you focus a little better. And then to begin, just take a deep breath into the nose and out through the mouth. Begin by becoming aware of the energy that's already all around you. You can either be aware of it or you can 
see it if you like. I see it as a silver mist or a golden mist. And it's already all around you. It's above you. It's below you. It's behind you and in front of you. It's on your right side and it's on your left side. So now I'd like you to pull energy, pull that silver mist or golden mist from everywhere above you, down into your head, down into your body, through your legs, through your feet, down into the earth, and down to the very center of the earth. And if you're not good with visualization, that's fine. You can actually just ask that the energy pulls. Just in your own mind or out loud to say, I'd like the energy to pull. And you might be surprised. And next, I'd like you to pull energy from the center of the earth all the way up through the earth, up into your feet, up into your legs, into your body, into your head, and then out through the top of your head, up into the sky, and then up into space and disappears into the vastness of space. Or if you like, connects directly with the heart of God. Now just switch back and forth between those pulling from everywhere above you, down through your body into the earth, and then from the earth up into your body, up into space, and see which one you like better. And just play with that back and forth. And then when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Interesting. <laughs> I like it. It's kind of interesting too, because like, it's kind of, it's like the same sensation I have from like centering prayer, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and Ash and I have tried Wim Hof before, like kind of similar. I mean, that's through like heavy breathing, but I feel like it creates really the same sort of like feeling in the body. Like I always have that like centering prayer, I don't know what it is about like, because I feel like with just like the hustle and bustle of life, like it's so, to me, it's like always such a crazy thing when you like close your eyes and stop and you can like feel the air around you where like during the day I never feel that. I don't know. That's just, I think about that a lot. <laughs> yeah. And um, a centering prayer, Wim Hof, I would say that they're all different ways of connecting with energy or God, you know, the terms I feel can be used interchangeably. I also practice Wim Hof every day. So here in Canada, today I was out in the frozen lake, had to step off an ice shelf to get into the water for my, my five minutes of cold time. And yeah, there's also deep, deep energy is, is there as well when you're just so present with your body. So there are many, many ways to feed a cat. And um, I think they're all, all beautiful. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I think it's, it's so important with the, um, I mean, visualization is such a huge tool to connect to that, I think. And yeah, I mean, it, it just reminds me too of how much it connects with like throughout different types of faith, how, that, how you can really just like apply it to all these different, different things, whether it's like, you know, you mentioned, I really like that mentioning of like connecting with the heart of God or um, for me, reminding me of, you know, the whole the Buddhist concept of like, you know, the energy and rebirth and like, you know, as we live and die, our energy enters the body, you know, leaves the body and stuff and it's just, I, I think it's, it's crazy how you're able to find these different practices. I like what you're talking about that can connect no matter what your faith is. Well, and there's, there's great stuff. I mean, even within all the, you know, the, the Coldplay for Jesus that I was talking about the music, there's that song, Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. That it's literally, you're just literally calling down energy, pure energy into you and into the space. What would a Reiki practitioner say? They would say, I'm filling the space with Reiki, which is also universal life force. Like, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of beautiful paths. And, 
But I also think that it's really important that we honor the ones that most connect for us. So for example, I used to be, I used to love, and I would read a lot about Buddhist practices and I still appreciate it. I still like it. I still have a lot of Buddhas around the home and I still love a lot of those practices and principles. But if I'm honest, I can like with Jesus, I connect just instantly right there. No effort. He's just right there. And he's always ready to talk. And he's just right there. And same with the Christian music, like play me some Southern gospel and you will see this white boy think that he's from somewhere else in the world so fast. It'll be shocking. Cause I just, there's a part of me that feels like I'm there. Like I was there in a past life or I am there. like, it just, it's there. Like I don't, don't have to effort. Whereas with Buddhist hymns, I know they're not called hymns, but I went to a Buddhist temple once, no connection, no nothing. I'm, it's not, it's not my practice. So there are, I believe there's many ways to be with God, but we also need to honor our personal path without obviously making anyone else wrong for their personal choice as well. Yeah. And I think that's such a good point. Cause I also feel like, you know, and I, I definitely probably like relate to you, right? Like, I mean, at least for me, like a lot of worship music was really pivotal, especially like when I was first discovering Christianity, like I, I have like just an overall like connection, I think to the lyrics and I don't know, there's just like this sense of energy around it. Um, but I also think about like, you know, how many people I've seen struggle in a Christian context because like the Christian practices don't work for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and I feel like there's like that flip flop, right. Where like, I think when you do feel confident in your spiritual journey, it's really easy to be like, Hey, like this is what's worked for me. This is what hasn't worked for me, but I'm still like willing to explore and try things. But I see like so many people stuck in that where they're like, well, I go to this non-denominational church, but I don't feel anything. So like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> like, and some of that's just like the church. Like I went to a church once where I felt so guilty that I was so bored during the sermons. Like I'd end up on Twitter, you know, and there was a few other people the same way, but like, I felt so guilty about it. Cause I was like, man, like, why isn't this connecting? But then I could go down like a church down the road and have a completely different experience. And so I think it's like, I love that idea of just normalizing like the exploration of there's mm-hmm. going to be some practices that really work for you and others that don't. And to your point about like, I do think everybody has different spiritual gifts. So I just like that, like that point. Well, oh, and that reminds me too of um, just like the importance of, as you're talking about, like, you know, doing your Wim Hof method, you know, you have these different routines and like the importance of us to like take care of ourselves 
like, like for you being an energy healer, like do you, how important is your own healing like every day to make it possible for you to do something like what you do? Like what's the, the importance on that and like helping others? Yeah. Well, I might flip that one on its head a little bit and say, the more aligned I get with my, my path, the more in alignment, call it, the less self-care that I need. So, and I've, I found this with a lot of clients too, they'll, they'll be talking about all oh, the self-care that they're doing. And I'll say, well, have you made a Facebook post about your work lately? And they'll say, what do you mean? I'm like, well, are you expressing you out in the world? And they'll say, oh, no, not really. And I say, I, I can almost guarantee you, go sign a client, go express yourself, start writing your book, do your work, and you won't need so many visits to the osteopath. And I've, I've started anecdotally, I started to notice a correlation between a lot of my clients that suffer from chronic illness and a, a dam that's been created in their life about their ability to express what's most important to them out in the world. Purely anecdotal. I'm not saying that that's everybody. It's just something I've started to notice. And I noticed for, for myself, for sure, that the more I was able to express me and do my work and feel good and feel proud about what I got done today, not from overwork, not from getting to burn up, but just from you know even being on this podcast, I will sleep better tonight because I was able to express myself, my message and this work to more people. I'll just sleep better tonight. I know that I will. So I, d- I definitely have self-care every day. So every morning I, I wake up and meditate and then I do yoga. Now I do a little bit a little bit of the Wim Hof breath work, but I'll be doing my main round of the breath work before bed. So in about a half an hour or so, um, you know, and then I do my cold exposure in the daytime. That's part of my self-care or I'll do some cold yoga outside or I'll go for a walk. I take a nap almost every day. I might do a second meditation. I do remembrance practices, which is more of a, it's actually a Sufi practice, but it's more similar to, I think, what you'd be describing as a centering prayer. So it's at, it's inviting the divine in. It's being in remembrance. For me, my remembrance practice is usually just Jesus, please help. That's but this, the most direct, <laughs> simplest prayer that I've, I've discovered so far. And it's just like right there. Don't have to reach or ask for it. So those would be some of the, the self-care ones and lots of hugs with my wife and trying to play with my four-year-old daughter and try not to lose my my mind when she asks for the frozen songs for the every single night as her nighttime songs for two and a half. She's only four and a half. It's been two and a half years. Every night that I do bedtime, it's the same two songs. So she's on in Canto now, but now it's worse because she won't stop. It's every day, three or four times that she has to either watch the movie or listen to the soundtrack. And those, I thought frozen was catchy. Oh my God. Lynn Emmanuel, the guy who wrote the songs for Encanto. If I ever meet him, all my spirituality will go out the window and I'll say, you didn't think about the parents. And then I might just slap them upside the face. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's just not good when it's been a hundred times in a week. I think what you're talking about too is just so, I think that's awesome of that. You know, you have those methods in your life to like center and like align. Cause I've noticed, you know, when you spend time with people who do that or you talk, just talk to people who do that, like, even if you're not having like a centered, <clears throat> like we're going to heal right now, it still is like a healing experience to just converse with people who like spend that time doing it. You get a different, you get that feeling of that energy, like that alignment in them. And it rubbed, I, I found it rubbing off oftentimes. I feel like though, like one thought that I've had lately is also, especially I'd be curious since you work with like entrepreneurs and people in the business space, 
is like one of the things I see a lot in the startup space is like there's all this content around like alignment and manifestation and hack your happiness, right? Like I, like there's so much like content around that, but I also like wonder too how much is like it just has to come naturally. Like I, I feel like if there's like a hack to life for everything, like everything in your life, then it's like counterproductive, you know. And so it's like how do you find like that balance where like kind of to your point, like, I feel like the more you just are like satisfied with your work, like the, like, and more aligned you are and just being your true self, like the less you're going to need some of that, like self-care. I just would love to know, like with your client, like, how do you find that balance? Cause I struggle with that a lot of like, like you should do self-care things. You should be working on yourself, but like, when is something just like a hack and it's not really leading to like long-term growth? Yeah. It's, I think it's a balance. So for example, one of the most solid, and I learned it from someone who's a neuroscientist, so he didn't talk about it like a hack, but you could call it a hack. But it's one of the best research ways to improve your self-esteem and your self-confidence is at the end of every day, write down two things that you did well today and two things that you love about yourself. And if you do it for, I think it was, if you do it for 10 days in a row, it will have an impact on your levels of self-confidence and self-esteem for at least 90 days, if not longer. And forgive me if it was 30 days as a practice or if it was 10 days, I'm, I'm a little loose on the numbers. But that, you know, for the right person at the right time, that hack, that very simple hack could be enough to get them feeling a bit better about themselves and say, you know what, I will make time to pray before I go to bed because now they've got just a little bit more energy. And then they start praying before bed every night and that's, that feels really good. And then they start waking up a little earlier to have a bit of time with meditation or, or reading or whatever it is for them. Like, so I definitely, and I've seen that in my own life many times, the snowballing effect of, you know, with Wim Hof, I started with 20 seconds cold shower. I know 10 seconds, I think. And now I'm up to five minutes in a frozen lake that I walk down to in my shorts and I walk back from in my, you know, dripping wet with my shorts. And then I dance outside in my shorts when it's like minus 10 outside. But it started with that little thing. Same with yoga. I started with one posture a day and it was just a little bit of breath work. It took about 30 seconds. And then I very naturally built up to, and now two years running, I have a daily practice. So I think it's as long as we have our eyes on the ball of like, what's truly important to us, instead of I'm going to hack this because usually, that's, that's interesting. Usually the hack is so that you can have something else. I'm going to hack my happiness so I can make more money. I'm going to hack my happiness so I can be more productive. I'm going to hack my sex drive so that I can be a sex god to, my, to the person I'm dating. Not so that I can be a better partner, not so I can have deeper connection, but so that I can look better. So I think you know that's just a, a little insight I'm having in the moment, but I think usually the hack culture is a more of a, self uh, focused and when we get into deeper practices it's more of, a, of an external focus but the one can lead to the other because if you're feeling terrible about yourself you're not much good to anyone else i think a, a key thing with what you're talking about too is having a perspective on time where i think the hack thing makes you think of like <clears throat> like if you're playing a game you like want a cheat code yeah. you know it's like yeah. where's my cheat code that way instantly i'm like you know I, you know level 100 or whatever but the way you're talking about it, it's like it still takes that time. And even starting with just that little bit is, I think part of that is like the hack mindset doesn't work because you're not willing to start with something that is only helping you like a tiny little bit that eventually becomes that practice that really becomes altering to your being. 
I'm curious, I'm curious for you is like, do you, for your clients, do you, and just in your work, do you have a way to like give perspective on time and like kind of what to expect? You know, I think often, cause oftentimes if it's like, Oh yeah, I want something right now. It just like, it never satisfies. And I'm always like, ah, oh, it just didn't work. Even though you only do it for like three days, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, on, on the business front, I definitely share a lot about <clears throat> I don't share a lot about the struggle or the hustle or the grind because I don't believe that it has to be like that. I think if you're grinding for more than a specific period of time, then you're doing it wrong. Like you may need to hustle this week for a launch or this night, but if you're always in the hustle, that's, you know, adrenal fatigue, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think that we can have quick results, but it's only an indicator, kind of like beginner's luck. Paulo Coelho talked about it in one of his books that beginner's luck is just there to get you like, get you out the door, get you moving. But it doesn't mean you're always going to have luck. And it doesn't mean that when the beginner's luck runs out, that you're on the wrong path. It was just there to get you moving in the right direction. So same with my work. I'll usually have a very big win right up front. They'll sign a new client. They'll have a huge insight or a huge breakthrough. They'll feel amazing. Something will happen. And then there's usually kind of a lull. And I I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. We're just laying the, the foundational groundwork. But to really see changes for my clients, it's six months. You know, I do six month programs with private clients and I can do less, but I do the six months because I know that the difference that that they'll see, you know, they do three sessions, they'll get some neat breakthroughs. It'll be good, but six months and they'll really have a different sense of themselves. They'll be showing up differently. They'll have a deep spiritual practice. They'll have cleared the baggage between them and God. Like that's a more realistic, excuse me, more realistic expectation as to what you're pointing to. Because yeah, we can have quick wins and we should. I don't think that we should do any modality or process where there's not some indication up front that like, oh, this is good. Like if you, I recently worked with uh, a therapist and within the first session, I was like, oh, I feel worse. And then the second session, I felt felt even worse. And I went into my old mentality of like, oh, well, you know, no pain, no gain. Got to get, if I'm uncomfortable, that that means there must be something here for me. And then I realized, no, 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 we're not a match. This is not a fit. This is not going anywhere. I need to not see this person anymore. So it doesn't mean that we get, you know, star spangled banner or, you know, rainbows and kittens in the first session. But if you don't have some kind of a win, I don't think it's aligned. But then yes, being realistic about we're changing big things here. We're changing your being, your energy, your beliefs. It's going to take time. It's not a one and done and anyone who does want a one and done, I mean, obviously for me, but anyone else, it's not a good fit because they're in the hack mentality, you know, fix me now. And I usually just laugh when those people show up, they'll, they'll put on their intake form. Like I want a better relationship. I want a better, I want a $10,000 a month and I want a, a deeper relationship with God. And they show up and I go, I'm sorry, I don't think I'm the person for you. And they'll say, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I, what you just asked for, it's like, that's a 10 year process. I, I don't even have all those things. That's ridiculous. And they'll say, oh, okay, no, relationships really. I just, I want an amazing partner. And I'll say, by the end of this session, let's say, well, okay, well, no, like, so that I'm just slowly bringing them back to reality of like, yes, I'm an energy healer. And I say that I do magic, but I'm also quite realistic because I know what it's like when you sit down with someone and they promise you all these things, not just energy healers, but also frankly, religion. And then they're, you know, the, 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 what is it? The lemon's not worth the squeeze. What's that expression? It's trying to balance both worlds. I love it. Thank I mean, thank you so much. Just to start wrapping up a little bit, if you have like one thing that people could leave off on, like one piece nugget they can hang on to, what would you want to give leave people? Well, there's this thing that I I see. I, I and I have a term for it. It's called the I call it the helper's paradox. 
And it states that the, the more you need to help, the less able you are to help. So if you're triggered around it, or if you've got like a need grasping energy around it. And so on the coming to God, because that's what we've been talking about this whole time, I find that that's often the biggest impediment to a deep relationship with God. When we think that we need to do all the helping and we need, and it's our need to help, we're stepping on God's toes. And it doesn't mean that we back off and, you know, let, you know, everyone's going to do what they're going to do. And I'm, I don't have to do anything. That's not what I mean either. I just mean, I would hope I, my, my prayer for everyone listening is that we, we can all address our triggers and our things that have us jump on people or jump on situations and connect first with God or the divine or energetic alignment, whatever you want to call it, so that we can, we can be full when we come to these situations and scenarios. Love it. And if, you know, <laughs> listeners want to connect with you and all the work you're doing, uh, where should, where should they go? Yeah. Just my website. It's my spiritual Awesome. Perfect. Love it. Yeah. Thank you Thanks so, much. so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the what the faith podcast music brought to you by Justin K. And as always, if you liked what you heard, be sure to like subscribe and leave a review for the podcast. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next week.